that time again for the assault on your ears we call Lower Dorks, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast, starring Aaron, also featuring Stavros. Tonight on our screens, episode 8 of season 3, Crisis Point 2, Paradoxus. And in our cups is Death in the Afternoon. Yes, indeed. It's also known as the Hemingway. It is a combination of absinthe and champagne. Funny story, this is actually the first taste of absinthe I've, I've had. and Your regrets were had? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Although I think it is particularly thematic, since there is a certain character that we think is dead for most of this episode. Yeah, and you know what? That's why I made mine a double. <laughs> because you just can't get enough of that character death. Not because I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, so what are we talking about tonight? Let's talk about this episode. As you said, Crisis Point 2 Paradoxes. When Boimler writes his own holodeck movie sequel to Crisis Point, he ends up dragging Mariner along to use it in the search for the meaning of life. Meanwhile, Tendi and Rutherford play through the movie, and we end up learning a little something about Tendi's future aspirations. A little bit of everything in this episode. You know, it's it's definitely another movie episode, just like Crisis Point 1, and it's just a veritable buffet of... Uh, Star Trek motion picture references. Definitely heavier on the callbacks than part one of Crisis Point. Yes. Yeah. Although it doesn't let it really affect the message of the episode, which is kind of kind of neat. Uh, just like the first Crisis Point, which I actually rewatched uh, Crisis Point Part One in preparation for this episode review. But it, it just like the first episode, this whole episode is about uh, helping characters deal with their psychological challenges, and in this case, as a result of the uh, fate of uh, William yeah. Boimler, who yeah. we think is dead. Yeah, and Shempo has to come to terms with that. <laughs> funny, funny story. I was like, where is Shempo? And then I forgot in Crisis Point One, Vindicta just horribly murders him for handing her tea instead of coffee. Which, which leads into something I want to comment here mariner's character is commander doodle <laughs> yes and she's just going along with this I know. like at first i assumed it had to be a holodeck <laughs> character because i'm like her mannerisms <laughs> her acceptance of commander doodle no way but you know she's playing along yeah and i'm wondering like why commander doodle is this like revenge for shampo <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea it's not explained uh, it's funny because she picks apart everything else about the episode, but not her character's name, which is pretty much hilarious. Yeah. You know what? Maybe she's okay with it. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Yeah. She was like, maybe she came up with it and she, she forced that in there for some reason because <laughs> she just thought the movie was bad enough without uh, without her goofy character name in there. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice when, you know, all the time when they're in, you know, with the film going on, um, there's the film grain over the episode. Yeah, yeah. I it mean, goes away when they're outside the holodeck. Yeah, after yeah. about five minutes, I realized my screen wasn't dirty and uh, <laughs> stopped yeah. furiously trying to clean it. So, yeah, I did notice. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Kind of a, a little subtle one, too. It wasn't over the top, either. It was just enough to yeah. make you think that the movie was made in the 80s. Oh, man. Well, let's uh, dive into some details here. In the opening scene of the film, which we got the preview of a few weeks ago, it's funny. It's very similar to the opening of Crisis Point 1, but our buddy Ensign Casey, who turns out to be the a-hole in an earlier episode, he's gone and the Kazinti Epson is in. I didn't notice There's this no at case all. There's no Casey to be had. Yeah. Oh, well. We haven't seen the Kazinti dude in a while. Put on so. a bus, probably. I, don't think he, I think he gets like barely one line and that's it. Still kind of neat. Um, let's see the Romulan Melponar triplets. I got to think that the, uh, the boob windows in their outfits got to be Dura sisters inspired. Oh yeah. hundred percent. This is one upping the Dura sisters, which, uh, <laughs> you know, it three it, is more dangerous. Yeah. Obviously, than two. And that's clearly, you know, generations, <laughs> the, uh, Dura sisters were one of the antagonists. Yes. 
So the real question is, when they finally do Crisis Point 3, who are going to be the villains? I'm betting it's going to be Cardassian quintuplets. <laughs> you got to keep uh, one-upping it. Although in Crisis Point 1, there wasn't a brotherhood or sisterhood after them, right? It was just... No, um, it was just, you know, bare. Just Vindicta. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny, actually, speaking of the episode writing, the writer of this episode actually wrote Crisis Point 1, and I love that there's this kind of weird internal consistency happening outside the episode now, where they've got the same dude. The way the, the, the way that the Lower Decks show writing seems to work is that one guy will write one or two episodes a season out of the 10-episode ten, ten arc, and this one guy just happened to get the the two Crisis Point films, so we can only hope that or, I mean, eventually did we he, get a Did Crisis he like, write the two Crisis Points and then that was like his main contribution? So they put it in, <laughs> he, you know? like is it, Or were they like, oh, maybe. hey, we need a sequel to Crisis Point, and he's all like, I'm on it, boss! I don't know how he talks, but that's how I imagine him. In my mind. <laughs> I, I also assume that that's how Here's he talks. Here's the real question, though. Who wrote I Excretus? Because that's like the crisis point of season two, right? Interesting. You know, with the power of the internet, we can uh, look that up right now. I don't think... That was written by Ann Kim, but that's not the writer of this episode, actually. This is Ben Rogers, the writer. Ann Kim also wrote A Mathematically Perfect Redemption. I'm getting a lot of questions here. (laughs) This really ruined my whole meta-arc. It's all falling apart. Dreams here. Yeah. (laughs) Better luck next time, I guess. Anyway, going back to the uh, the opening here, we get Captain Dagger, uh, played by Boimler. Um, I love how even when Boimler is a captain, he still has, like, weird, unkempt Boimler hair. Just seems odd. Well, you know, I mean, it's like you don't show up to your D&D session, and you don't you don't style your hair, <laughs> depending on the character you're playing. <laughs> you just cosplay, and then this the hair doesn't matter. This is a fantasy thing for them, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. They're all having fun, except for one character, but we'll get to that later, oh, I guess. Boy. <laughs> um speaking of captain dagger's ship there the wayfarer how about those new uniforms with the white stripe we saw them finally pop in from when we spied them first in the trailer yeah uh, how are you liking them sexy definitely sexy play on the first contact ds9 style uniforms i do kind of wonder is that the intense and i don't know how mm. well these would translate to live action though right like, I think this, the baseline yeah. Cerritos would work fine, but, like, these... I guess it would just depend on the material they're made out of. But that, like, very white stripe, like, I don't know how that would look with the rest yeah. of the material. It's weird, because the first contact, the late DS9 uniforms, definitely look cooler in live action than they, than they do in their animated counterparts. Yeah. Whereas this, these uniforms with the white stripe look better in animation than they probably better look and, in animation than And that may be, like, action. the logic behind these uniforms. You just, you never know. Yeah. You never know. Do you think in-universe Boimler designed these uniforms, or did he, like, rip them from somewhere? Maybe uh, bad memory uh, first contact <laughs> uniforms. Like, oh, yeah, you remember <laughs> when the Titan showed up? These are the uniforms that they wore. <laughs> Could very well be. He didn't want to get too close to the actual stuff. Yeah, don't want to get those uh, cease and desist orders from uh, <laughs> from the Enterprise. Totally. Definitely not. Oh God! Speaking of the Enterprise and the Wayfarer, which is the sovereign class ship that Captain Dagger is in command of at the start, there I love it when it first shows up. It does the whole thing it from first contact, where it interposes itself between the incoming fire and the ship that's being fired upon, like the Borg cube and the Defiant from first contact. That's the first thing I thought of there. It's got to be a first contact reference. The first of many. Oh my God! Yeah, this this episode this this episode is nonstop. Like it's just scenes from the movies squashed together. And I gotta believe 
that that is how Boimler made this holodeck program. He just he's like so familiar with all of the adventures of the previous crews. He's just like, yeah, yeah then we're going to do this. Then we're going to do that. Then we're going to do this. Then the other thing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I do love the name Wayfarer for a starship, though. Yeah, that is pretty nice. I'm not sure if it suits the uh, Sovereign Sovereign. class. It's a little more militaristic. I think Wayfarer would be a nice explorer ship name. Totally. A small little explorer ship. This is the first time we've seen the Sovereign in Lower Decks, I think. The model looks pretty good. Can't complain. Yeah, no. You know what? I mean, what did you expect? They, they've been hitting it out of the park. <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, Boimler didn't want to go too close to the uh, to the Luna class. He's he's kind of over being on Captain Riker's ship at this point, I think. Yeah, and I mean, like, at this point, I think the Sovereign is, like, the top dog of the fleet. So, why not? You're sure. creating your fantasy where you're Captain Bocephalus Dagger for some reason. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty crazy. <laughs> bocephalus it just sounds cool it sounds sophisticated that's what you want your captain name to be hey man whatever floats your boat man (laughs) well uh you know of course the plot progresses and we get to that temporary research lab and they talk about the MacGuffin, the chronogami uh, I love the I love Mariner's yeah. comment. Yeah, it's so good. I like Mariner's comment about it, where it creates alternate cinematic timelines that run concurrent to our own, but with different people playing younger versions of us. Definitely a shot at the uh, Kelvinverse reboot. Oh my god! Yeah, and I got Tendi just poops on it. She's like, "That's not possible." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what, though? They, they, they really do knock on a lot of the movies in this. It's not just their their previous bagging on the Kelvinverse. Like, they make fun Haven't they, of all they, of the They've made this joke before, right? Yeah, when they <laughs> were... T- made fun of this Kelvinverse reboot. Yeah, when they were talking about, <laughs> did you have that dream, right? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't remember which episode that is. Oh my god, it's, it's the uh, Rutherford episode where he's having the memories of his past. Oh, yeah. And Teddy's like, did you have a nightmare <laughs> where cinematic chemistry? <laughs> right, yes, that's right. Anyways, that's moving on, moving on. Oh, jeez. Yeah. This installation, of course, is located on Europa. I don't know if you caught this or not, but isn't Europa just like frozen ice? And they showed in this episode, and it's like a rocky. Is it situation. rocky though? I Am mean, I you don't. I mean, it? you don't know. You've never been to Io. Maybe that's, that's what true. the ice on Io that's looks true. like. Like, I mean, Europa, not Io. Right, Europa. But I mean, like you've seen pictures of Europa from space, right? Sure. Like if you just had to imagine what the surface of it looks like, that that wouldn't be yeah. too far off, right? Yeah, I think it'd look rocky yeah. like they should. I mean, here. except for the fact that Europa looks like it has, like, roads all over its surface. So <laughs> I imagine, like, Europa is just inhabited mm. by sentient cars. Oh, yeah. And when we get there, you know, we're going to find this very sophisticated alien car culture. That's oh, my yeah. theory, anyway. Isn't this the plot of the latest Picard season is someone's going to Europa to find aliens? Yeah, yeah, and anyway. they do. And they find the cars, <laughs> which is how they solve... <laughs> The pollution problem by driving sentient cars that don't need gasoline. Uh, I see. It makes a lot of sense. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I can't believe you let me get on this tangent, man. You're supposed to keep us on track here. No, oh, not at all. Oh, my God. What all. is going on? <laughs> Regrets were had. Let's talk, let's talk more about this research facility. Again, we get clear callbacks to Wrath of Khan here. It's yeah. the, uh, the regular space station references from the uniforms to the equipment. They've got that piece of equipment that's shown up. Everywhere. It's not just Star Trek. (laughs) It's like, it's in The Last Starfighter. All right. It's in The Hulk. It's It's the tube thing. Yeah. I think it shows up in like the 80s Flash TV series. 
there's there's it shows up in a sketch comedy bit that Shatner did. It shows up <laughs> everywhere, man. Is it just this one prop that's been around for fifty years? I and think just so. Using it? Yeah, I mean, and you know what though? I don't think we've seen it as much since. Although you know what? Now that I think about it, I think it was an Enterprise. Wow. I mean, just everywhere, man. It, and like, it's been everywhere. If you guys don't know what I'm, if the listeners, you guys don't know what I'm talking about, it shows up right in the foreground as they're getting to the scene. It's this piece of equipment that's shown up in every single piece of science fiction for 50 years nobody knows what it does it lights up well i mean <laughs> it's a flow regulator that's what we're going with flow regulator. oh is it a flow regulator okay I don't know. okay makes sense now it does you know i mean clearly ripped straight out of wrath of khan uh, i love the the top secret movie that they play that is a complete rip of the genesis device briefing from wrath of khan uh, i like how even uh, rutherford's like wow man look at the graphics, graphics. <laughs> and i you know what here's the thing though it's hard to tell but i think he was like teddy i think took it to be that he was being sarcastic right <laughs> really yeah. i think he's being serious i think he was being serious i think he was really yeah. into it i love it it was good i mean all just all the huge wrath of khan references going we're hyper focused on all of that stuff but can we just focus on the real meat of this scene of course and that is the super awkward moment <laughs> with the sexy hologram <laughs> you know it's funny he gets we get more into this later in the episode but it's obviously it's a adaptive holodeck program right so based on what the people do and the holodeck is supposed to react so i love how when boimler shuts that down the holodeck gets confused yeah, it's and you like, can tell I it don't know reaction to, it's like what do i do yeah, i don't know what to do and mary's like i don't know either and leaves well, here's the <laughs> best part mary's response she sounds so dejected was she hoping <laughs> she's looking forward to that to, yeah was she looking forward to uh watching boimler get jiggy with hollow lady like and that's what it sounds like uh, yeah lots of questions here maybe mariner just likes to watch i don't know it's a little weird <laughs> you know mariner historically has been very protective of boimler yeah like that uh when barbara branson you know what, um, maybe it's like yeah maybe it's like you know when that good friend of yours finally gets a girlfriend and you're so excited for them yeah she was all like oh he's finally gonna get a holographic uh booty call i'm so excited for him <laughs> yeah that it doesn't work out yeah, and she gets very confused can i comment very, on something though here because like we've already mentioned yeah. that you know dupla boimler dies the minute boimler right. comes back all sad and dejected i immediately knew that dupla boimler was dead it's like even in my notes oh, really? you know, I, I make notes haphazard sure like immediately after this scene i have a note that says oh no did dupla boimler die i don't know why that's where i went to like <laughs> Is that like the logical <laughs> made expectation? Yeah. Because we've never seen know. his family. You know, this isn't going to be a Picard, my family died in a vineyard fire for no apparent reason. Right. You know, which apparently vineyard fires are a thing still. Yeah. Like smoke detectors go out of style. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Probably need those. By the time TNG comes around. Ah, Jesus, man. Don't even <laughs> get me started. But like, yeah, totally like saw it coming. But you know what? We'll get into that more later. Yeah. Totally. Yes, we'll talk about that more in a bit. Uh, I want to talk about the next place they go, Tatasior 9, or God, how do you pronounce that? Ash Shacks. It's the name of the voice actor that, that plays Shacks. That was amazing, and now his name is uh, in canon. Apparently. So there is that. Yeah, I loved how they worked that in. I, they, they showed that, and I was like, I know that. I did the whole, like, I recognize that. And that whole scene that is full of great callbacks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Manuki worshiper. Oh, yeah, the Manuki yeah. worshiper. Uh, the Manuki <laughs> worshiper. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, 
Yeah. And then, of course, you get the guy, you know, talking about the koala as expected. Yes. So so here's the thing. I, I'm going to get hung up on this for a second. How does the holodeck computer know about the space koala? Um, It's probably in its databases, right? Like, multiple people have seen the koala, right? <laughs> Is that, like, a known religious thing? Because everyone I... seems surprised every time there's a koala. Yeah, you know what? I think it's one of those things that it's like you hear about it, you know, like flat earthers, right? <laughs> you know they right. exist. <laughs> But in your heart right. of hearts, you don't really believe it. <laughs> I see. So the Holodex is kind of populating this guy based on... With what it views as cranks, right? Manuki worshippers, right. the, <laughs> the koala guy, and the hologram that yeah. knows it's a hologram. Yeah. <laughs> also amazing. It's, uh, these Holodex characters are so I, versed I, in metaphysics. I want him to come back. I want this to be our new Moriarty. But it instead of being like megalomaniacal, he's just like trying to get them to admit that he's a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> and they won't do it because they don't want another Moriarty. Obviously. Yeah, exactly. Like they're banned from it. Like the captain's all like, "No, you can't tell him he's a hologram. Otherwise, he'll go all Moriarty on us and try and take over the ship." <laughs> Amazing. And everyone's like, "Oh yeah, you know, we don't want that." They all just agree. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but anyway, at this point, we get the splits of the plot. We have Rutherford and Tendy who pursue the plot of the of the movie, and then the Boimler Mariner split, where they go. Boimler's obviously distracted, as we talked about, and goes off on his own tangent. But let's yeah, talk about yeah, the Rutherford Tendy split let's, first. Let's, before we go off yeah. on this, I have a problem with okay. how this scene splits and what happens. Okay. So weird alien. Uh, I don't even know what he's supposed to be. Cat lizard thing. Yes. How does he know that Boimler's hair is purple? Boimler is wearing a hood. His hood. Yeah. yeah. Huge plot hole, people. Uh, let's let's focus up, writers. <laughs> Get with the animators. I need this this. I need my animated comedy show to have <laughs> internal have logical consistency. Thank Obviously. You. <laughs> Very disappointed. Yeah, I, I want to talk about Nick Knack too, but uh, we're going to get that to get, get to him in a little while. But let's do, uh, let's do, do the rest of the episode about Nick Knack. I, I think so. We need to just have a standalone episode about Nick Knack and that's just the whole, all the There's content. still time to make it this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, if we're lucky, we're just going to spend 10 minutes on Nick Knack and then, you know. We'll, we'll draw the line there. <laughs> well, let's go back to the Rutherford Tendy split. First off, to get to make this work, I love that Boimler calls uh, Tendy and specifically says she's acting captain. And I feel like that's the the first domino to fall in this plot. Yeah. Um. To, to you know, for Tendy to to get more responsibility. You know, here. I will say something about this because going back to the later reveal, I think they're doing a fantastic job. Like, ah, man, this is just supposed to be a light comedy show. Why are they doing yeah. such great character development? Where <laughs> Tendi, it takes somebody else, like, pointing Tendi in a direction to, like, get her to realize what she wants or admit to it. Yes. Like, that's what right. happened when she got moved to general science rather than being a doctor. Now it's the whole, right. you want to be a captain. Mm-hmm. Hopefully nobody tests her if she wants to be a serial killer, because I feel like she's going <laughs> to suddenly have an epiphany. <laughs> she does take a little pointing but that's you know that's characteristic of uh, some younger people especially right like they need yeah they need somebody to come along and say hey you can kill a bunch of people and get away with it and they're like <laughs> you I know can. she has the yeah, skills that's true so yeah <laughs> it could easily happen oh, no. she'd be like no i don't want to be like my dad but maybe but i could maybe. Make why money. not both <laughs> <laughs> i love it uh but let's talk more about their their arc here the desert chase scene where they're chasing them in the grav bikes. 
Was that like a kind of a nemesis movie reference you know, here? And that's kind the of thing. Like I kept feeling like that, but like, you know, it's just a different enough to where I feel like they were trying to evoke that feeling, like in the art style, the coloring and that right. stuff, but not exactly the yeah. same. So maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, this is all about movie references. Although there is yeah. one problem with that totally. argument, and it goes into my theory of how this episode was set up. So I am convinced that Tendi and rutherford's arc is all stories that are considered good star trek films and boimler Uh and mariner are doing the bad film arc which raises a question (laughs) is nemesis considered one of the good star treks (laughs) Ooh, i think if you ask the internet they would say no if you ask me i would say no but i guess we need to ask mcmahon although he didn't write this episode uh, (laughs) so you know maybe we just need to ask the writer yeah, that's right. I got my eye on you, buddy. We'll, we'll tweet him. He's uh, he's on Twitter, and we'll ask him. We're on to you, uh, Ben Rogers. We're going to make you admit publicly that some of the Star Trek movies are bad. And that will, I'm sure, be good for you. I think career. we just need to get him to admit that he he's likes Nemesis. There. And his career right there. <laughs> there we go. Will that be it's enough? called into the boss's <laughs> office. Did you tweet this? Really? <laughs> this? <laughs> You're out of here. Jeez. I mean, we can all handle the latent uh... racism and bigotry. But liking Nemesis? Actually, I'm joking. I don't know who that guy is. (laughs) I'm assuming he's not a bigot or racist. Um, I'm just throwing stuff out there. Probably (laughs) not. We're joking. Please don't uh, get our show reported. Or I I don't know how this works. You're the guy who's supposed to know how this is supposed to work. You're the one who makes decisions. (laughs) Like, I barely understand that the internet is a thing. I yell into a microphone and hope somebody hears it. Yeah. You definitely are heard by, you know, at least like one person me when i listen to it so i appreciate that, that. <laughs> back to the desert chase scene i don't know if you watched the rides of skywalker the last star wars film but when she does the the crashing the grav bike into the jump over the uh, romulan's car that definitely reminded me of when uh, ray jumps over the tie fighter in the rise of skywalker i don't know did you get that did that occur to you no not at all i didn't get that no. at all like, yeah, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I guess I'm just people jumping over things in slow motion. Frame. Yeah, yeah, but that's a pretty common trope in like like action. It's usually a car, sure. right? Like cars driving yeah. action, you leap over it. Right. You know, you're on your motorbike. Whatever. You know, yeah. it's a thing. that is what happens here. It's a trope yeah, for sure. Well, it wasn't a motorbike. <laughs> maybe it did have a motor. Yeah, we don't know. We're just maybe making there's a motor in there somewhere. Here. Yeah. Yeah, like maybe, there's an engine of some kind, right? Well, yeah. not necessarily. I mean, we don't know how anti-gravity works. Ooh, but maybe, <laughs> maybe it's using a gas-powered motor to charge the batteries that power <laughs> the anti-grav plate. Yes, that's definitely for, a thing for that maximum environmental in impact. Oh God, <laughs> this is a, another tangent. Let's uh, yeah, let's focus know. up. Here. Not as good as the last one. Though. You're, you're supposed <laughs> to keep us focused, man. Why are you letting me? Do I'm doing this? my best, but when you get going on anti-grav bikes, there's just no stopping you. Well, I mean, nobody knows how they work. <laughs> anti-grav bikes. How <laughs> that's those true. Work. <laughs> you know what things we definitely are sure work is uh, sentient octopi talking to uh, algae hive minds. Yeah, so I kind of wonder about this uh, algaic sli- uh, slime mind. So like, is this like an like is this just something Boimler made up, or is this like an actual part of Star Trek history? 
Is this a deep cut? Is there a book based around this event? I mean, like, it's got to be, it's got to be real, right? I don't know because it just, it raises so many questions. They all just accept it when they say like you learn about it in school. So it's got to be in universe real. You don't know because Rutherford doesn't recognize this guy. Oh yeah. Well, Rutherford's busy eating chips. So, you know, (laughs) that's a whole separate thing. I don't know. I don't know. I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> but given most of everything else we see being like real events, I don't know. I just I got so <laughs> yeah. many questions. I think it, I think it is. It's got to be a real in-universe thing. We can always tweet uh, McMahon and see what, what his take on it is. But... Well, you can. I'm not allowed access to the Twitter. Yeah, that's right. You, you can't get get off the Twitter account. But between the sentient octopus and the trip to the Sydney aquatic-themed museum, this is a lot of the voyage home. Oh, yeah. Wow. Voyage home, uh, especially with the punks. Yeah, the punks. Like the dude with the the boombox right. is straight up out of Voyage <laughs> Home. And it's funny because I'm noticing like a lot of people online are referencing the Voyager episode. Uh, what is it? Uh, Future's End. Right. Right. Because they meet some punks there too. Right. Oh yeah. I'm like mm-hmm. ah no man, I'm no. pretty sure this is Voyage Home. And I also kind of got a feeling, even going back to the beginning of this. That it's a little bit first contact too, where they have to travel to the past uh, yeah. to prevent the future from effing it up. A bit, yeah, you're right. So again, both good movies. So fits with my whole Tendy Rutherford get the good movie arc. <laughs> I think you're totally yeah. right. Uh, this is also the best joke of the episode, in my opinion, where Shax is like, but we don't want any witnesses. <laughs> That made me laugh pretty good. It's very Shaxx, too. I like that they're just sticking yeah, with Shaxx's character straight to the end. <laughs> it really is good. And I love the plot just continues to not make any sense through the whole time origami business. It even Hollow Ransom talks about it. Like, why are we here at the founding of the Federation? Like, up till this point, <laughs> we though. We were talking about Noctopus. Up until this point, though, it makes sense. Like, they go <laughs> it back just completely falls to apart. the slime octopus and fail, so they try another route. Yeah, yeah. And then they go to the founding of the Federation for no apparent reason. <laughs> and Tony's like, well, obviously they're trying to disrupt the founding of the Federation. <laughs> but I like Ransom is, is not is on board with it just not making sense. But here's my real question, though. Is this Boimler's writing or have they gone off the rails enough that this is just holodeck ass pull? To try and, like, write a story. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, there might be enough in the holodeck because it's pulling from Ransom's logs to make these characters, right? There could be enough in there to have a Ransom, like, a fairly real Ransom response, possibly. Yeah, and, like, but the whole question is, did the original story bring them to the founding of the Federation? Or are they, like, Ooh. missing bits? It's gotta is be. Is this, like, a D&D campaign where your players, you're <laughs> like, well, you know, you've been to three dungeons all about the evil Archmage Aserek. And, you know, there's another dungeon over here, and the players are like, you know what, I suspect that the villains are going to go to Sleazy E's pub in Carbondale. And the DM is just like, okay, I guess. <laughs> I think you're totally right. There's a lot about this episode that screams uh, D&D or D&D tabletop campaign. RPG stuff. Yeah, just like all yeah. the tabletop yeah. RPG tropes of things we hate. <laughs> right yeah. down to rutherford it's rutherford funny. noping out at a key moment to get some snacks <laughs> yeah 100 percent. yeah man you can't you just you can't just not have chips i mean you need chips and uh especially uh rutherford not taking things seriously when everyone else in the campaign but here's the best is part taking everything this. really seriously going back like now i'm sidetracking from dnd tangents <laughs> going back to the previous when Boimler returns and he's all sad and dejected and nobody notices. 
And now mm-hmm. Rutherford not noticing how much Tendi is like very serious and into this. I right. love that they're sticking to the Warp Core 4 just being oblivious all the time. I mean, this is like borderline aspergic at this point. You know, just <laughs> not catching on to other people's emotions. Not at all. For all it's, it's all for the comedy value, though, obviously. I mean, I maybe. I don't know. It, it's a little crazy. Or yeah. maybe there's going to be a reveal later that it's okay to be yeah. on the spectrum. Yeah, it could, could be. be. I'd be into that. Anyways. But yeah, back to Rutherford not taking things seriously. You know, he's just there to have a good time. He doesn't understand that Tendi is taking this really seriously because, you know, as we've talked about a little bit already, she reveals an aspiration to be captain and she's a little pissed off that Rutherford is not taking it seriously. And he just, but he's just there to have a good time. He doesn't get it at well, first. He's just uh, singing the teacher's song. It's not that he's not taking this seriously. It's that he's not taking her seriously. He's, you think so? I think he's, he's just not taking the whole thing. It's supposed to be just like a goofy thrill ride of a movie. Yeah. and uh, Tendi is the captain, and he is not yeah. treating her orders with the respect they deserve. And yeah, I think you're right, because they're just in there to have a good time. The, the great part is, though, when he realizes what it means to her, he completely changes his attitude, and that's why uh, Tenderford is the freaking best, yeah. because he is completely there for yes. supporting a her captain Powerful platonic friendship. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so you know but i I'm will going say with this the, uh the, the will they want they run uh, i love that uh rutherford immediately changes his attitude yeah it is really great yeah <laughs> well, that's one of the best things i i love these feel-good moments you know you can call it cheesy if you want but i love these feel-good moments when he's just there for for her supporting yeah i just it's I, really I think best. it's a great juxtaposition to real life that's only full of feel bad moments <laughs> <laughs> wow i think uh, i think we need you to have a uh a holographic uh psychological uh, fixing episode in the works. Crisis point three, make it yeah, happen. We'll get you to play through a movie. <laughs> we'll get you in there, and uh, you know we'll, we'll hope for the best. Uh, you know what's funny though? When Rutherford is singing the song, uh, he's working on the Romulan bomb, and um, it's clearly based on the Thaleron yep, bomb uh, used to kill the Senate. But it doesn't seem to be Thaleron based when it's yeah, actually because in... Thaleron. Well, a it's a war crime, so like, why would the Federation then turn around <laughs> and use it? And B, it only destroys organic <laughs> matter. Like, are Romulans making organic ships now or something? No, nah, it's, it's got to just be like somebody Googled Romulan bomb and they came up with the uh, the art for, in Nemesis. I, I don't think I like the idea that used. you're implying that the show is getting lazier. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying they needed right, a reference right, and they found it. You're not saying it. You're implying it heavily. <laughs> <laughs> okay well, well potato potato okay uh oh yeah i before I forget though in the the scene where rutherford is rewiring the bomb and dr tana gets shot and Best uh tendy is like it'll be okay last words <laughs> ever yeah don't bullshit a and it kind of sits in with the whole she's a doctor right she <laughs> yeah. always is like giving people uh the new soft right yeah you're gonna be fine <laughs> he's gonna die right? yeah I don't know about Ta'ana, though. She, she's just going to give it to you straight and tell you you look like a effing scratching you post. You know, or because there's that episode where uh, Tendi is, like, supposed to be taking care of that guy, and she just completely says the wrong thing. And Ta'ana's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, don't do that? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You're right. Yeah. She's uh, she's straightforward, but, uh, you know, she's, Has you a know little doing, tact, she's saying the right a thing. Tact. Yeah, a little bit in there. I think that closes out the whole Rutherford Tendi thing. The whole the whole point is to show that uh, to get that little character reveal of Tendi in there. I think is the the main key of that that whole uh, that whole plot there. Oh, is that what it was? I think so. Uh, I, my whole take- it was either that or eating sandwiches. Yeah, my whole takeaway is uh, you gotta have chips. 
<laughs> that's also an important takeaway too. I'm not Anyways, gonna... let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to the Boimler Mariner segment of the story. Ah, uh, yes, the bad movie references. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get to that for sure. But it's funny that the entire story that happens here is based on the holodeck trying to adapt to Boimler's like crazy, like talking to minor characters yes. situation. And it goes back to what we talked about before, how this is basically like a d It's that campaign. moment where your players so is- are like, you're like, okay, there's seven people in here. There's these three people you've met. There's an individual that, and you go into great detail and they're like, and there's this other guy. He's just sitting over by the fire. He's talking crazy. There's the bartender. He's just serving drinks. I go talk to the guy by the <laughs> fire. And he says to you, eh, I don't really have anything to say. And you say, "Yeah, we need your whole backstory. And you're like, I am a person. <laughs> yeah, totally that. Let me tell you. This thing I'm going, yeah, yeah, very, very. I mean, Boimler also splits the party, which is, uh, which is, but bad. nobody dies, so which is disappointing. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Usually that should basically end up in in somebody dying. Boimler. Not only does that, it's like the DM is desperately trying to like make an interesting story for these people, but he also doesn't bring the two groups back together at all. They just let the <laughs> the Mariner and Boimler just go off and do their whole separate story and uh that's just that's just gonna be a bad yeah. time if you're in a D campaign that's not gonna work very well yeah, well i guess that's why you don't let the uh, holodeck run your D campaign better right <laughs> probably <More> not preparation. <laughs> yeah and of course we know boiler is doing this because uh his twin william has, has died or so he thinks and he's trying to make the movie take on additional significance i feel like he knows that it's originally just this uh, this thrill ride action based movie, but he wants to bring some additional significance to it, and it just doesn't really doesn't really work that well. It, it, it's, it's what's going on there. Let's. You mentioned backstory, and all I can think of is backstory. Oh God! And, but that whole arc is you know <laughs> final frontier. Uh, yeah, going looking 100%. for God. Yeah, Kitty uh, Kitty Ha is obviously a Shockery reference. It's got to be from Final Frontier. You know what? But yeah, it winds um, up being the Final Frontier and reference. The the V'ger reference from yeah. TMP, which offends oh, me deeply. Yeah, there's that too. because this is the arc <laughs> of all the bad movies, and TMP is the best movie of them all. See, that's where you're wrong. Um. You mean I'm right? <laughs> no, not not at all. I mean, top tier <laughs> up there movie. Like, it is the best of Star Trek. And I just <laughs> don't know how you can't get that. I, I just, we, have, we just have to call you wrong and move on from there, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I mean, you can call me whatever you want. It doesn't change the fact that I'm right. <laughs> oh, you know what we do need to talk about is Nick Knack. And why is he the best character in the show? Oh, man. I just... <laughs> <laughs> no one can get his name right either until the yeah, end. They get it right at the end until he, he has, has his, his uh, transformation, transformation reveal. reveal. Shades of uh, Rick and Morty squanchy reveal during the big battle. Oh yeah. <laughs> Not sure if like that was like the same guy in both writing rooms being all like, Ooh. "What if it turns out that the little crack creature gets bigger?" They're like, "Damn it, Steve, <laughs> who let you in here?" <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're a little upset at uh, at Dinknack uh, right now. Yeah, you know. He's a decent character, and that reveal is fine. But honestly, Mariner's <laughs> reaction to Nick Knack throughout the whole thing, the Boimler, I love you too, and Mariner being, oh, you got your romance. 
I know. Fantastic. It was so great. So heartwarming. Yeah, the... yeah Boimer just leans into the into the romance. He's like, I love you too. <laughs> Mariner just wants to see her, her best buddy, you know, yeah. happy. I think you're and right. And then, you know, her, uh, ah, third act, knickknack reveal line. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> that was a great character. But that scene, that scene with the big fight is is great. And the lead into it is fantastic. It's It's just unexpected <laughs> enough, but at the same time, cathartically acceptable that it's hard to not enjoy it totally yeah um but you know back to knickknack and uh the final frontier references uh it's got that whole brig brig escape sequence where knickknack breaks them out that's a clear reference to them getting busted out of the brig from uh in that film too there's all kinds of final frontier references happening here um let's see what else do we need to talk about the rock people oh yeah that were cut from the original movie uh the original final frontier and yeah. we got a rock person you know what it's funny though <laughs> weren't they supposed to be like small yeah, rock supposed people to be like small like, rock people that god. the crew has to fight to get to god which doesn't make any sense but you know what that's not right. the first things cut reference we have in the rutherford tendy arc they reference having to go back in time and kill JFK, which was a shot down <laughs> plot premise for the follow up to the motion picture. Oh, yeah, I didn't at least know I that. Think it was the follow up to the motion picture. It was I did one not of the know movie that. pitches that Roddenberry himself put out there. Which, you know what? It's interesting. Like, a lot of people really like bag on that concept and like, oh, how terrible it is. Right. But that really harkens back to that episode in the original series. Where they go back in time. And what is her name? Edith Keeler? Who they have to let die. Yes. But it's just like taking it up a notch. Right. You don't just have to let Edith Keeler die. Mm. You gotta kill her with your bare hand. <laughs> I'm kind of sad whole, it never got know, made. Uh, history needs Hitler trope that's just god awful. Yeah. Feels like that should not be Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where like, I feel like a lot of times we look back at just how terrible history was. And try to justify it by saying... Well, it got us where we are today. And it's just like, eh, you yeah. know. That's not good enough. It's not really a good excuse, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an ends justified means type uh, argument, which. Uh, yeah, like really doesn't belong in Star Trek. Definitely not. No. It wasn't World <laughs> War Three that united humanity. It was the realization we aren't alone in the universe. And we're just one small part of a galactic. Yeah, universe. yes. Wow, look at you uh, quoting the. Uh, the the positive ideologues of uh, Star Trek. I've passed my can't take anything serious phase of being drunk. Never thought you had it in you. End of my somber, <laughs> reflective phase of being drunk. It's all downhill from here, folks. <laughs> oh God, let's uh, let's see if we can focus on the end of this uh, of this plot where. You know, of course, we realize that Boimler is uh, trying to get meaning out of out of God. And the holodeck is just spitting like motivational poster quotes at him and he gets all upset and like pops Which in is there. hilarious. But I think if the holodeck can recreate like accurate, passable facsimiles of Stephen Hawking and Einstein and all these historical figures, I feel like they could just pull up some sort of religious icon from pa- the past. And create a reasonable facsimile in the form of a rock monster. Mm. Like, who hasn't wanted to meet rock monster Jesus? Or rock monster Buddha? <laughs> you know? 
Uh, yeah. Just, just saying, you know, yeah. I feel... It couldn't do it on the fly. It, it had to load, you know, as we were seeing, the characters kind of have to load up and be made on the fly, and maybe the best the holodeck could do in, uh, in under those circumstances was uh, yeah, motivation. It's the whole uh, D&D trope. Your players go off the rail and you have to throw in something significant. And after the <laughs> session, you're <laughs> like, right. oh, Kitty Hawk? Why did I throw Kitty Hawk in there? <laughs> <laughs> and now you're stuck with it. Yes. <laughs> But Bundle doesn't take that for an answer, and uh, he, of course, jumps into the hot rock monster to find the Kitty Hawk. I assume you mean uh, temperature hot and not, like, you're into rock yeah, monsters? Yeah, like, sexy hot. Yeah, I no. just... He was not I'm not judging you, monster. I'm just saying. You have yeah. a wife, man. No kink-shaming. You know? Everyone can... You can be into rock monsters if you want. This is a temperature So are you saying you want here. me to uh, buy your wife a rock monster suit? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I know a guy. I can make this happen you know, for you. <laughs> It, that sound, that sounds really heavy and impractical, but I'll keep that in mind. Thanks for the suggestion. Anyway, um, we get an awesome cameo at Kirk's ranch, and that is, of course, Captain Sulu, George K, making his cameo here and actually dispensing very awesome wisdom. He he gives the whole breaking down of you know if you worry about you know getting you know worrying about death all the time, you won't enjoy life. And it actually hits home, and it's amazingly effective. I thought the cameo was very great. much a generations reference. Yo, big which time. Which apparently, if yeah. that's a part of this arc, that means generations is a bad movie. And you know what? <laughs> there's there's always stuff to pick apart in all of the Star Trek movies. And I think, of course, like how I judge whether a Star Trek movie is good or bad is if I like the memorable moments, the stuff I think is cool, I remember more than the cringe moments the bad ones yeah so i don't know how i feel about generations um is all i i only remember the funny moments from generations like deanna <laughs> crashing the enterprise oh yeah that was funny yeah the, the life force song <laughs> anyways we're getting off forgot track all about here. that yeah. but i do want to come <laughs> i love that they find sulu in his own private idaho fantastic <laughs> it was a really great oh cameo great job getting yeah. george takei in there uh, but you know it was making it work like and i know it was for the gag but was kirk's ranch in idaho like was it not in iowa they never really talk about in generations it, like i feel like it has to have come up like kirk explains mm. to picard where they are right but i'm probably wrong i don't know um not sure if that was intentional or whether i'm just reading too much into it but yeah. moving on i don't know if they ever really moving say it, but yeah great cameo um i have a question though uh, you know boimler passes out and he has all that in a dream sequence not holodeck generated um and he wakes up in sick bay so i guess there are limits to holodeck safety protocols yeah. if you if you are dehydrated the computer's question. not going to save but here's your the bigger thing right <laughs> like how they weren't in there that long like you should be able to yeah. go for quite a while without drinking water before you pass out there's no way right. the safety protocols were on if he passed out in like you know what 30 minutes maybe an hour of stuff we didn't see i don't know but it couldn't have been that right. hot the entire time the inside of the rock monster must have been like super hot and you know what that means pretty warm yeah everybody was in danger this entire <laughs> episode like Teddy almost got stabbed by punks. They all almost got blown yeah. up by not Thaleron weapons. Yeah. Teddy could have died. Like, imagine if she had not yeah. made it over the hover truck. She would have been dead. Yeah. 
Jesus, yeah. boy. I have questions about safety Jesus protocols. Boiler, they, someone's messing things shit up. Together. Turn on the safety protocols. <laughs> <laughs> it's built. You're thinking it's built into the movie that uh, the safety protocols. Somebody are off. shut them off, and I don't know spicy. who it was, but it had to have been Boiler. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I could totally see Mariner doing that. And not telling anyone. Yeah, no. Kind of, she doesn't really turn them off. She just kind of like let, you know, lets it become a little spicier before uh, they kick in, maybe. Um, but speaking of injuries, uh, well, first off, let's talk, you know, so that kind of wraps up the whole Boimler uh, arc here where he has his hallucination with Captain Sulu and there he gets his, his psychological assistance of not worrying about meaningless death because then you won't have a good time in life, which is a good lesson in and of itself. But you know what? He's got to get out of sick bay because Stevens is uh, being a little irresponsible he leaned against the warp core and it was twice in one so is day. that a thing no not what at is all it, is that is that just a standard thing with the warp core like you don't touch it or is that like a cerritos warp core thing where the warp core is, is such a Here, beefy boy the that there's no way it is a standard thing because we have seen in multiple series <laughs> that warp cores have force field are they on all the time i would think if anyone breaches the inner circle you know because they always have that ring around and i don't even remember in uh ds9 odo murders that other changeling by like throwing him on the warp core like throwing him on well not really throwing just like rams him on it so i don't remember did they turn off the force field before they did that i don't think so I guess it must be deadly then. You, yeah, don't get thrown on the warp core. Yeah. You're gonna forget yeah, that. Don't man. touch the warp core, man. It's it's not a good <laughs> idea. I mean, it's got to be like no. super radioactive to begin to begin with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, looks like the uh, come on, Aaron. <laughs> looks focus like up. the death in the afternoon is focus having. Up. A... <laughs> we still got episode to go here. Oh. <laughs> we're so close you almost made it without the the death in an afternoon uh hiccups <laughs> oh and we can't cut it anyway out. we're it's so close intertwined <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing anyways we're so close we can make we can this, make this uh, what's yes. next is it the uh, post credits next or is there something uh more? basically no that's it i, I mean, think they, the they poop on that. cliffhangers yes, which leads to yeah. the cliffhangers yes that is william boimler is working for good old section 31 i love it you know uh it, mirror uh dupla riker <laughs> joined the maquis dupla boimler mm-hmm. joined section 31 i think this is just yes. a dupla thing that you joined the antithesis of whatever you were oh. into before out of out of universe this has got to be just a a way f- to have evil Boimler or evil Boimler. Oh, he might be evil. Now. I don't think he's <laughs> Dupla Boimler. That 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 laugh was too <laughs> vaudevillian. Like, there's no way that was a real evil laugh. Yeah, I think he's he's infiltrating. <laughs> he's pulling a uh, Bashir here or a Tucker. Oh, I see. He's like doing it for show. Yeah. Well, no, the evil laugh is for show, right? But the whole right, right, right. Uh, Section thirty-one. That's like the whole you know Tucker infiltrating the organization to take him down from the right. inside. That's what he did in that book, right? I don't right. remember. I didn't read the book. Sure. Close I read enough. the uh, Wikipedia <laughs> article on the book. So gotcha. it's good enough, right? I mean, that's how I got through high school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, makes sense. I'm sure kids these days, are they just can read, you know, just, you know, watch a YouTube video on books and then you got it. Oh, I thought you were going to say kids <laughs> no, these I... days can, you know, read uh, or watch YouTube videos and join Section 31. Oh, I mean, I'm sure that's also true. I, you know what? Based on Probably. Section 31's behavior in Star Trek, 
I bet that's how they all got there. Watched yeah. the wrong video they recruit through YouTube. on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, followed their yeah. weird uncle on Facebook, and suddenly Section 31's <laughs> like, this guy. That guy. Believes the universe Amazing. is two-dimensional. Let's recruit him. He'll believe anything. <laughs> exactly what we need. Uh, I, I really think that they did this because they wanted to use Dupleboimer without needing uh, Captain Riker. They don't want to have Frakes doing voiceover every single time. So, Dude, that's, that's harsh. They, did they that. didn't want Riker? Man. Or they couldn't get him. I'm sure they Dude, want him, but they couldn't Frakes, get him. Frakes, man, I'm sorry. Don't don't take my co-host words to heart. <laughs> we love you. We want you back. <laughs> we want you back. Yeah. This is just my guess, though. Yeah. Or, you know, they're just, like, building a myth arc in the background that's both comedy gold and, you know, doesn't require a lot of focus. It could. It could. Maybe it works into the Rutherford plot, now that I'm thinking about it, because they do have, like, shadowy Section 31 person in that shot. Oh, really? uh, Is that what you think? That's a very uh, original and unique thought that I'm sure no one else has ever had. (laughs) I I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for recognizing that. Uh, I also like that they they make the comment about the Section 31 com badges and how, like, why they have that if they're a secret organization. We never saw them anywhere else, right? Except for in... I think Discovery. Discovery. And in Discovery, they weren't secret. Like, everybody knew about them. Which makes no sense yeah. that in like, you know, a hundred years, nobody knows about them, you know? It's all like... <laughs> they're scrubbed out of the history books, Apparently, books, they're really good at erasing history, which I refuse to accept, you know? The internet still yeah, exists that in the future. There's going to be YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, everyone gets that. Well, maybe that's the problem. Everyone gets their history from YouTube videos, and uh, no one's covering Section 31. They've all got bigger conspiracies like the two-dimensional, two-dimensional galaxy. galaxy. Wolf 3 not. Wolf 359 was an inside job. What are we talking about? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 100%. I love it. Oh, my God. Anyway, that uh, that wraps up the uh, the episode, at least. Shall we go to final thoughts? Do you want to summarize your thinking for this episode? Uh, you can go first. Okay. All right, for sure. Um, I love this episode. It was great. Um, I think it's in the top half of the episodes in this season so far. does address the psychological trauma that Boimler has. It's weird because a similar thing happens in Crisis Point Part 1, but that is actually something that builds up over the course of the show, which is Mariner's frustration with her mom. Here, it's a little bit, I feel, not quite as effective because Boimler kind of gets the trauma during the episode and then sorts it out. It's still powerful, but maybe not quite as like show-relevant as uh, Mariner's resolution um in part you know, one and there is that and there's one thing i do like yeah. about this it's very much about boimler's law and in a way like dupla boimler it, it was him in a way and one of the things right. i really like about this episode is it leads to boimler being like this having this existential crisis if you will about meaning especially since his duplicate right. died in a theoretical gas leak which was bullshit there's right. no way i mean i'm sorry <laughs> you know that yeah, yeah, like it's one thing if it had been like, oh, his ship was, you know, infected by, you know, space spores or they were all murdered by godlike alien entities. That stuff happens. But gas leaks in this day and age, like that's, yeah. uh, no, no. It seems unlikely. But I love the yeah, fact that totally. that leading to him having this existential crisis about meaning and purpose and the randomness of life rather than him yeah. just being like oh you know i'm kind of mourning the loss of this person nobody called him selfish and nobody told him to be yeah. like you know look at the bigger picture you know or nobody told him your your way of viewing this is completely wrong like everybody experiences grief right. in their own way and this was his way 
that it confronted him totally. and we all go through that when we lose a loved one and i really like the fact that once it's revealed that this is what's going on everybody just accepts everyone tries to help him yeah. through it um even when he decides his solution is beating up holographic cultists because <laughs> i will tell you which was amazing beating up real cultists when you're going through when you're going through loss not as effective the cops will not support you i'm sorry they're gonna be like okay guys he just lost a twin just just let him pound on you a little more it'll be fine no they're like this is a felony yeah we'll tase you right now (laughs) i love it and you know going back to uh crisis point part one uh you know something we actually forgot to mention was mariner actually gets called to ransom's office and ransom gives her an evaluation where she he's like oh yeah like all department heads think you're shaping up just you know going along with mariner's arc this season but it's also a direct result of what happens in crisis point part one where she comes out of that thinking that you know she doesn't need to give her mom such a hard time definitely like an interesting they both get this cathartic uh, cathartic experience that happens through the holodeck movie Um, and then of course the second part of the um an arc here with tendy you're right people are kicking her in the butt to do it but at least she gets she has that realization that she wants to be captain and i'm here for it it's good yeah and i think it's less people are kicking her in the butt more than her being given the opportunity to realize what she wants in life you know yeah like a lot of people like and i kind of get the feeling that like going back to previous episodes god i'm taking this way too seriously this is a comedy animated (laughs) show but (laughs) with good internal consistency going back to that character i think she has this view of who she is and that is the orion pirate and no matter how much she tries to repress that Mm. she's kind of worried that's all she is and that keeps her from pursuing these other wants and interests because she could never see herself totally. as these things. Right. You're totally right. And we get to see that advancing in this episode. Yeah. I'm glad that you've come to the uh, realization that I'm always right. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far. I'm not a crazy person. Do you have anything you want to add to uh, final thoughts? Any so other final my thoughts final thoughts is not about this episode, but a realization I had oh. throughout the whole episode. So obviously okay. this is Crisis Point Part 2. Um I think right. Ix Cretus was probably the crisis point of season two. So that means okay. at some point in the future, we're going to get an Ix Cretus part two and a crisis oh. point part three. You know what I want oh. out of crisis point okay. part three? So this entire what? episode, they've done virtually every movie, right? This was very much a meta, all of the, the main timeline movies. The first one was just, we're right. doing the style of the movie. Right. This one is a meta. We're doing all the movies. But right. throughout all of this, they've never touched on the Kelvin timeline. And in this episode and other episodes, they bag on the Kelvin timeline. And one <laughs> gag made me realize what I want to see. And that is Uh-oh. they could create an alternate timeline where somehow our younger <laughs> selves are played by different actors. So <laughs> Crisis Point Part yes. 3 has got to be the senior officer's find crisis point part one and two play them talk about how ridiculous their characters are and create crisis point (laughs) reboot with new (laughs) actors which is the warp core four playing them when they're younger so like i love boimler is uh ransom mariner is her mom tendy is (laughs) shacks rutherford is i don't know who rutherford is 
Billups, maybe. <laughs> do we make him yeah. Billups? Ooh, awkward. Maybe maybe he has to be Kayshawn and speak in metaphors. <laughs> oh my god, somebody being Kayshawn? <laughs> I'm just being constantly trying to come up with metaphors, and they're all bad? <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Either that or Dr. Ta'ana would be amazing for Rutherford. Yes. Anyway, that is a great pitch for Crisis Point 3. Uh, they you know what, make it, it happen. Make it happen. <laughs> well, I think we've talked the hell out of this episode. Do you have anything left? I got nothing. So let's end it on a high note and let those credits roll. Um, bad news. We actually don't use credits on this show. Oh. You know what? Fine then. So next time on Star Trek Lower Dorks. Episode 9 of Season 3. <laughs> I mean, they'll just be talking about it. It's pretty, you know, Probably. not quite so cinematic. Or even, like, not even Maybe TV not. worthy. I'm not even, even sure if this is YouTube worthy, come to think of it. Mm, it's kind of yeah. sad. A little sad, yeah. But if you did enjoy it and are planning to watch our next episode, you can, in the meantime, hold your horses and catch us on Twitter, <laughs> at Lower Dorks. Or you can let Stavros spoil your fun. It's easy. Just hang around with him and everything you want to do, he's going to be like, nope. I have no regrets. <laughs> <laughs>